Welcome to the Laura Plantation Podcast. Laura Plantation provides a cultural experience unlike any other in the United States. Here you will find the difference that exemplifies Creole Louisiana. Explore the rigors of 200 years of daily life along with the sobering experience of slavery as it happened at one historic site on the banks of the Mississippi River in the middle of New Orleans plantation country. In this podcast, historian Katie Morlos Shannon and director of PR and marketing Joseph Dunn will be your guides into the Creole world, offering you true, personal, compelling stories of the people who lived, worked, and died at this unique historic site. Real history about real people. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of the Laura Plantation Podcast, which will focus on the first people enslaved at Laura Plantation. When the French sold Louisiana to the United States in 1803, Guillaume du Parc was commandant of Point Capet, an area in central Louisiana. Sugarcane was fast becoming an important cash crop. Du Parc sought land in St. James Parish for a sugarcane plantation. He purchased what would become Laura Plantation from Joseph Blanchard. Blanchard had originally received the property from Governor Unzaga as a land grant from the Spanish. In 1805, Duparc arrived with 17 enslaved people, whom he quickly put to work, building a house and outbuildings and clearing land. He would never live to see it prosper. Duparc died in 1808 at the age of 56. His widow, Nanette, was 40 years old and left with two teenage sons, Louis and Flagy, and a 12-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. She went before the parish judge and filed her husband's succession. Two men were assigned the duty of assessing the property Duparc left behind, creating an inventory that listed everything he owned and assigning a monetary value to each item. Alongside real estate, buildings, livestock, buttons, clothes, and furniture, 17 enslaved people were recorded as Duparc's property. Their names, ages, places of origin, jobs or skills, phenotype, and monetary value were all noted. The 1808 Inventory Jean-Pierre, age 25, mulatto, Creole of Louisiana, field worker, and good subject. Cabonniere, age 40, Negro, from America, field worker, good worker. Docteur, age 26, Negro from Conga, field worker. Fortune, age 25, Negro from Conga, field worker, good worker. Louis, age 20, Negro from Moco, field worker, good worker. Smath, age 20, Negro from Moco, a lunatic. Adelaide, age 25, Negress, from Casey, field worker, and her daughter, Louise, aged nine months. Patience, age 24, Negress from Moco, of bad quality, and her son, Tantal, age 18 months. Angelique, 
age 20, Negress from Congo, runaway and bad domestic servant. Marie, age 26, Negress, Creole, domestic and her children. Toussaint, seven months, mulatto. Liza, age five, Negress. Eugenie, age 26, Negress from Congo, does some domestic work. Rose, age 13, a griff, Creole. Davins, age eight, Negro orphan. Most of the people listed in this inventory are in their 20s because mortality rates were high and also because they needed to do really hard physical labor. So you needed young, strong people. Of the adults, only one doesn't fit this criteria. Cabanier, who's 40. The rest of the adults are all in their 20s. Eight of them, more than half, were forcibly brought directly from Africa. Creole of this colony, you will hear me say um, Creole, that means Louisiana, of this colony. But there were some called Creole of America, meaning they were American and enslaved in the Upper South, like Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Maryland, those areas, and sold down south to New Orleans and then out to the sugarcane fields. These are the early days of the plantation. So you'll notice that there are very few domestics, domestic workers within the household doing the cooking, cleaning, laundry, um, serving, etc. Because these were rough times in a, a new place, start just starting to establish itself. And they what they really needed out on the plantation were field workers, not necessarily domestics. The only domestics you see, well, one had run away. Um, another was only a little bit of a domestic. She only did um, a little bit of tasks that were domestic. So really you only have one woman, Marie, working as a domestic in the household. This would greatly change over the course of the next few decades. You'll also notice that phenotype is listed, the color, uh, having to do with the color of their skin and um, their racial background as reflected in the color of their skin. So it has to do with their, their descent, their, their genes, um, and then also the way that's reflected in their complexion. And this was very, very common in Louisiana up until the mid 20th century, in fact. Um, so Negro, when they say Negro, they meant a full African ancestry. Both parents were of, uh, carried African, um, were, were from Africa, had African origins. Mulatto meant half African and half European parentage. And Griff, because Rose was a Griff, this meant half African and half Native American. And it was likely her mother was the half African because she was enslaved and enslaved children take the status of their mothers. And the father was Native American indigenous to that area. You'll also notice that Smoth, 
the 20-year-old Negro from Moko was listed as being a lunatic, essentially having mental illness. Now, there are many, many examples of people who survived the Middle Passage, but who came away, understandably, with trauma so intense that they were just not able to cope with the new life that was forced upon them and the brutal treatment that lay in store, the dehumanization that they would experience. So this was not an uncommon um, thing to, to find. And then you'll note the runaway um, or the enslaved woman who ran away, Angelique, she was 20 and a Negress from the Congo. Now, Frequently, you would find that women didn't run away as much as men did. Now, think about that. Women were mothers. They had children um, who to take care of, and it was impossible to run away, or not impossible, but almost impossible. I mean, can you imagine running away with an infant, trying to escape and flee the plantation with toddlers? This was a really unlikely scenario to turn out in a positive way. And so women frequently chose not to run away and to stay on the plantation with their families. So it would take a lot for a woman to run away, but it was not unheard of. We have quite a few female runaways um, listed in uh, records for Dupark and the Cool Plantation. But it's likely that Angelique did not have children whom she left behind because she was only 20 and from the Congo, so came directly from Africa and had likely only been there a little while. And now we will learn about the life of one of the people present on the 1808 inventory, the young child named Tantal, who was listed with his mother, Patience, or Patience. Tantal was only 18 months old in 1808 when Guillaume Duparc's death prompted the plantation's first inventory of enslaved workers to be taken. Because he was just a child, he was listed with his mother, Patience, Patience, 24 years old and of the Mocha tribe. Children ages 10 and under or under the age of 10 were legally required to be listed with their mother until they reached the age at which they could be sold, which was around 10 or 11. MOCO um, was a designation used by Europeans primarily in the context of the slave trade. So it was closely associated with the Ibibios of present day Nigeria. Slave ships carrying the Moko embarked from Calabar on the coast of West Africa. So this was a common thing to see a slave enslaved child listed only with the mother. Family groups listings were very rare. So his father, Doctor, was not listed with the two of them, the his wife and child. Um, Doctor and Patience and Tantal that would be have been reminded that they could have been sold away and separated at any time from each other, destroying that, that family unit as a result of slavery. 
Doctor's origins were recorded as Kanga, which would indicate several possible tribes, but probably refer to the one from an area near Monrovia, Liberia, along the Windward Coast. Doctor's name indicates a status both medical and magical. This was an honorary title, probably bestowed upon him because he was a healer. The practice of medicine men in Afro-Caribbean culture was closely tied with voodoo. Practitioners of these arts used herbs, fetishes, talisman, and medicine to heal physical ailments and to engage in religious rituals. More than likely, doctor held a ceremonial role on the plantation. He would have led dances and improvisational performances and captivated listeners with his stories and riddles as a griot. A griot was a kind of troubadour or storyteller who helped maintain the oral history of his people. Doctor would have told the stories of Compère La Pen and Compère Bouquet at firesides and on the galleries of cabins. And it is likely that he passed this very important folklore onto his children and grandchildren. They would grow up to take his first name as their surname and became the Doctor family. Tantal grew up to become the plantation's cooper. He was responsible for making the hogsheads in which sugar was stored after harvest and then transported to market in New Orleans. He also crafted barrels to store corn and other food stuffs and supplies. His status as a skilled laborer would have put him a rung above the field workers. When Tantal was 17 years old, a young girl, his same age, was purchased and brought to the plantation. Her name was Eleanor. The Duparks paid Ren Le Bourgeois $700 for Eleanor in a sale that would ultimately separate her from her family. This was not the first time that she had been sold. In fact, in her young life, she had been purchased three times already. Le Bourgeois had acquired Eleanor when she was five, uh, age five and her brothers, 12-year-old Charles and seven-year-old Zenon from John McDonough in 1811. She had paid $600 for all three of the children. They had only been with McDonough for five years at the time of the sale. Eleanor's first owner, the person who first enslaved her, was named Pierre Bourgeois, and he had sold her and 23 other slaves to McDonough in 1806, when she was around one or two years old. Eleanor became Tantal's wife. She named their son Zenon after the brother she had left behind when she was sold away. Unlike his father, Zenon was destined for the field. He spent his teenage years plowing, planting, hoeing, chopping all the sugar cane on the plantation. It seemed as if that would be his life forever. And yet around his 18th birthday, things changed and it was clear that life held other plans for him. The nation was embroiled in a civil war and at first the plantations of St. James Parish that felt few repercussions. There wasn't a lot going on at the very beginning of the war in St. James Parish. However, Emile Lacoul, the son of plantation owner Elizabeth Lacoul, who owned Dupark and Lacoul Plantation, now Laura, Emile Lacoul 
raised up his own company of Confederate troops. And there were several other Confederate companies forming in the area. So there was a lot of drilling and marching going on. But as time passed in the spring of 1862, the forts outside New Orleans were, were bombarded by the Federal Navy. And New Orleans fell to the Union Army. They were once again under co the control of the United States. So that meant that the United States had recaptured New Orleans. It was no longer Confederate anymore. And Union soldiers, United States troops, were beginning to go upriver to the river parishes, to the countryside. And there were federal gunboats traveling up and down the Mississippi River. Zenon and his father, Tantal, who was by now an old man, saw their opportunity. They ran away from the plantation, seeking freedom behind Union Army lines. They traveled with a small group of people with whom they had been enslaved, so a group of them, through the sugarcane fields and swamps, narrowly avoiding the Confederate Army and the slave patrols, the planters in the area who went out patrolling for enslaved people who had run away. Capture would have resulted in severe physical punishment and maybe even death. They arrived safely, however, at Camp Parapet in Jefferson Parish, which was just up the river from New Orleans. They sought refuge with the United States Army. They were called contraband by the government, as if they were stolen or confiscated property, which in a way, legally, they were. Zenon and his um, fellow enslaved friends and family were then sent to a nearby plantation to bring in the sugar crop there. So they found themselves doing the exact same kind of work they would have done back on the plantation at just at a different plantation in the area. So he was no longer technically enslaved, but he was also not truly free. And this ambiguity would continue until October 16th, 1863, when Zenon left Tantal and enlisted in the Union Army. Tantal's son served in the 84th United States Colored Infantry and fought for his freedom and the freedom of his family and friends. Thank you for joining us. We invite you to visit Laura Plantation, where you can walk in the footsteps of the people you've learned about today. For more information, see our website, www.lauraplantation.com. Our tour is based on thousands of pages of primary source documents amassed through tenacious research spanning three decades. At Laura, you will walk in the footsteps of the people who made history. Be in the rooms where it all happened. Join us again next week to hear real history about real people.